I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Excited to welcome in a good friend of mine, a guy I've done podcasts with many, many times. He's also a producer down there in Arkansas from 103.7 The Buzz, but now host of The Neighborhood Watch, part of 365 Sports and their network. He is Josh Neighbors. Josh, thanks for taking some time. How are you, sir? I am well. Happy Saturday to you all. Same to you. Uh, so uh, getting ready for Big 12 Media Days next week. I know you've got a vested interest in this, obviously covering all things Big 12. Uh, give me your initial reaction. Uh, a lot of people, Texas picked to win the league for the first time in four years. Uh, cue the hashtag Texas is back conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, your thoughts on Texas being the favorite? Yeah, I picked them to win the league. Uh, I was with everybody else. I, I had them in Kansas State one and two. And uh, I think it is, it's a combination of things. Number one, this group team is primed and ready for it. Uh, from a talent standpoint, there is there is no debate. They are the most talented team in the Big 12, full stop. And then also, you know, it's, the Big 12 as a conference has gone in the uh, last three years. Six different teams have played the Big 12 championship mm-hmm. game. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, cyclically speaking, it's, uh, it's Texas' turn. And there have been a couple teams that we've, kind of, we've, we've been able to see coming. Uh, I think K-State last year was a really sexy pick in the, in the preseason this time of year. And then TCU, like, you know, we didn't see them coming. So I think Texas is kind of the one that we do see coming this year, and it makes sense from a talent standpoint. Up front, they invested a lot of the recruiting resources, their scholarships and whatnot. Uh, up front, if you look at those recent recruiting classes, you know, guys like Cole Hudson and Kelvin Banks were uh, big members of the last couple of recruiting classes Sark has had, and those guys are now starring you know, in some big roles, guys like, you know, Devondre Sweat and, and folks like that, too. So both sides of the ball good up front. They have probably the second-best receiving core in the country. I think Ohio State stands alone, and I think you definitely make the case Texas is number two. And I think Quinn Ewers is kind of uh, in the spot where I first year up and down, injuries, inconsistent play. But guys get older, they get better, and I think he's so talented that you'd have to be, you have to play pretty poorly to screw up this situation. I actually think no, no matter who plays quarterback for Texas, that they should be fine. Between Malik Murphy and Quinn Ewers, they should be able to find a pretty good quarterback. So uh, it feels like – you know, a team that lost a bunch of close games last year, if they can turn two of those into wins, they'll be right in the Big 12 championship game. 
Josh, this is kind of an interesting year for the Big 12 because you have the two teams that are eventually moving on to the SEC, but you're also welcoming in four new teams. Uh, Just big picture, how do you kind of expect everything to play out in the Big 12? And and how do you think that kind of sets up for the years following after Texas and Oklahoma finally leave? Yeah, I mean, this is is going to be a... You know, it's a great point because this is going to be a unique season. I mean, people use the word unique a lot, but this is – I can't think of a situation across the country where it's, you know, we've seen four incoming, two leaving, <laughs> but they're all stuck together for the one year. You know, yeah. uh, the, the new wife has moved into the house. The old wife has, you know, has not moved out yet, <laughs> and we're going to do it for, what, you know, six months. We're going, to, we're going to make this thing work, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. You know, I, I think – Regardless of what happens, Oklahoma and Texas fans will complain about the officiating on the way out. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think that is that's something that's natural. It already happened last year. Uh, so you know, they can just they feel like they can blame. And I, I, I know everybody's going to be wanting to take their parting shots at OU and Texas. Uh, ironically, though, you know, I mentioned the Texas part of it. Like there is a good chance that Texas wins the Big Twelve, and you know, it's I don't think it's a. It, from my perspective, it wouldn't be a them sticking to the conference thing. It'd be part of that natural progression and turnover this league experiences. But nationally, people would be like, there it is. Texas showing why you know they don't belong in the conference anymore. They've outgrown the Big 12, stuff like that. So I'm tracking that storyline for sure. But um, the newcomers, obviously, BYU very much included in that, too. You know, you want to see what it looks like when you get a, a full Big 12 schedule, nine games against the Power 5 schedule, one year removed from being in a, in a, you know, a G5 conference. Josh Neighbors joining us, host of Neighborhood Watch, the podcast, part of 365 Sports, also working for 103.7 The Buzz down there in Arkansas. And you mentioned BYU, Josh. Uh, Cougars picked 11th. I, I think most people I had talked to had them pegged anywhere between 9 and 13, depending on the people I had uh, kind of reached out to and gotten their feel for. Uh, where did you have the Cougars ranked, and you think 11th is the right spot for them? Yeah, I had them somewhere somewhere in that range. I forgot exactly where I put them, but somewhere in that range – and you know when you pick when you pick teams at that point, you know a fourteen team league, like it's there, there's going to be some variance there. Yes. I think we all know that. But you know, Jake, you and I have had this conversation a lot about BYU's almost quasi Power Five schedule. Um, you know, it is it's it's probably as close it is as close as any of the new schools got to playing a Power mm-hmm. Five schedule, just because of the way they schedule, how they schedule. You know, some of those remnants are still there, right? I mean. They're actually going to be taking a trip to my neck of the woods and coming to Arkansas this yep. year. So they still have those remnants like, like we talked about. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you all are more familiar with, with, with the, this year's team than I am, but it's just it's that aspect of it, right? It's the idea that, all right, you, you know, it, you replace those schools that were uh, G5 schools, and now it's an entire Power 5 schedule. And I, I think about last year's Big 12, the schools that were down, Iowa State was not very good. But they had a gangbusters defense, a terrible offense. But they made life hell for teams trying to score the football. It was really challenging. And they had a, one of the best defenses in the league, you know, and one of the best defenses in the country. You know, they, their offense had scored, I think, 20 points in, uh, you know, their first, at least 20 points the first, their first 10 games. They would have won like eight of them, right? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of a, a bad team in this league. <laughs> West Virginia was bad last year. They still swept the Oklahoma schools. That was a bad year, though, for West Virginia. The floor of this conference has been raised, and I think that high floor is actually the more challenging part as opposed to some folks might think the ceiling is, but, you know, going up against those top teams. 
I think ultimately the week-to-week grind of playing a higher floor. I mean, good Lord, Kansas, you know, Jalen Daniels might be the best player in the field in 11 of the 12 games they play this year, right? I think that's part of, you know, that's part of uh, this conference now, too, is like KU is confident, and that kind of changes the entire landscape because there's no bottom anymore at this point. Every school feels like has a decent coach or decent talent, and that is what all of those newcomers will have to deal with and square with uh, in year one and moving forward. Josh, from your perspective, you know, what what are your expectations for the four newcomers into this conference as someone that has covered the conference very well and for a long time without uh, the four newcomers? Yeah, my my expectation is UCF probably has the best chance to be the, the, the this year. It feels like they are the team everybody's looking at because their talent level is it's pretty high and also the coach. Gus Malzahn, to me, I, I'm a huge Gus Malzahn fan. I like him a lot. I think he's a very good coach. Uh, I think that he has invested a lot in that program. That program has invested a lot in itself. And I think because of their location, you know, they are a school that is in SEC country that is going to go now play games in Texas as well often to uh, you know, widen that recruiting footprint, uh, widen their scope being now at a Power 5 level. And also, too, they, you know, being in SEC country, they can keep kids in and around home who are either SEC transfers or potential SEC recruits that want more PT or want to move back to home in Florida. And that's a huge, a huge benefit for them. So when you look at who gains the most from kind of the geographic changes, I think they do. And I also think they're a team in year one that's best fit to win just because of the amount of talent and who their coach is. This is not unfamiliar territory and not just not unfamiliar territory. He's had success in the most difficult league in the country in the SEC. So, you know, the Big 12 is a different animal, but he is uh, uniquely, you know, uniquely qualified, I think, out of the four coaches to come in and do well. Josh Neighbors joining us, host of Neighborhood Watch, the podcast. Check it out. It's it's great stuff, five days a week, uh, covering all things Big 12. And, Josh, uh, you mentioned uh, UCF, but the other two newcomers in Houston and West Virginia picked right around BYU, I believe 12th and 13th uh, in the poll. Uh, you mentioned the fact that all of these newcomers are coming in. It's kind of that weird range. I, I actually think your analogy is absolutely fantastic. The old wife hasn't moved out, but the new wife, it's, it's a great analogy. But with these newcomers, do you think any one of them, them, or do you think the group of them have the capability of influencing the conference race this year? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, you kind of almost look at the November games, like the chance to play spoiler. Yeah. I have a tough time seeing, I mean, maybe UCF could do it, but, but like we saw Kansas last year put together an amazing first half. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened to Kansas in the second half of last year. And a lot of schools were banged up, but that depth, uh, at a power five level, that stands out late in the season. That's what sets you apart and allows you to finish the year off well is building depth. And uh, these schools, you know, they can try the best they can, but when it gets late in the season and guys go down and, you know, you've got some guys that, you know, maybe aren't power five level or power five level yet and they have to go and play, you know, that that's what's going to, like, that's really what separates it. Um, you know, those those November games when the guys are tired and playing six or seven straight weeks, you've got injuries and stuff, and that depth is where I want to see it. So I'd say if one team has a chance to influence, you know, you see it. I feel like BYU, um, with some of their home games might have something to say about this race and those difficult environments. I think that BYU environment is the one that folks are most excited to see opposing teams go into. I tend to agree. Cincinnati, I've got – I mean, I'm not super high on that team uh, for this year. Just Scott Satterfield kind of backs his way into that job 
with Luke Sickle leaving. They do have some playmakers on defense, but I'm just not sure how good the offense is. And are we really sold on Emory Jones starting quarterbacks? I've got questions there. And then, I mean, I think Houston, beyond moving to the conference, it's great they've got Dana Holgerson who's had success in the Big 12 before, but they underachieved last year in a big way. And they lost, I mean, Clayton Toon and Tank Dell off the offense. Bring McCaskill back off the injury. Donovan Smith comes as quarterback. I've got some pretty serious questions. Though. They've made a they've made a considerable investment in that football program. I think Houston long term is going to be a okay. But this group, I just don't know what the influence that Houston will have on it. So I'd say BYU's got a good chance for home games. And if you want to toss a team in there to possibly you know be around the Big Twelve title conversation, I'd say UCF. But I think most folks in the media, and I'll include myself in there, don't believe those schools will contend, not just because they're new, but because it's that week-to-week grind, and especially because the Big 12 elevated the floor of the conference the last couple of years. Uh, it makes it more challenging now. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement here with the move to the Big 12, uh, and I'm sure, I, I mean, BYU fans tend to show show up and show out anyway, but there's going to be that added level of excitement because there's the, the newness involved. What are some things that you think fans should like make sure that they check off the list year one heading into the Big 12? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Well, I would say, you know, enjoy it, right? I mean, just enjoy the fact that this this is kind of you know, this journey, it, it's um, to the Power Five is an odd one. And I will say this, I was, I was having a conversation with somebody, uh, Paul Catalina from 365, about what the future of college football is and college sports is. And it's really unclear. It's all driven by television. And we know how kind of fickle the television thing can be and what they want and you know, all kinds of stuff. And will it be a college football super league, much like Champions League in soccer? Like, I, I don't think that's out of the question yet. So I would say enjoy it because there's no guarantee that the Big 12's place in college football, uh, especially enjoy it if you're uh, you know, a, a new fan, but this is a conference that's like they were on skates uh, a few years ago, right, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving. And now there's, there's some, you know, some solid ground. So enjoy that feeling because we never know how long it lasts for. But, yeah, I mean, the idea, the, the fact that you can go on road trips now and go to places, and BYU is always going across the country and going, you know, really cool places. But, you know, thinking about, like, this year for BYU, the opportunity to go to places like TCU and, you know, get one game at DKR, you get to go to places, you know, like uh, Oklahoma State, if you want to go travel and, you know, go see a game at Stillwater, all of those things have now become available. And getting to know the fans, you know, who are excited to go to Provo. I mean, it's that's part of this uh, experience going to be kind of the mingling of the fan bases and, We'll see what natural rivalries develop. I think there is a thought that the uh, the, the God-fearing schools, if you will, TCU, Baylor, and BYU might have some kind of rivalry, right, because of the religious component. But, um, yeah, you know, I think I, I'm excited to see the, the natural rivalries that, that develop, uh, you know, throughout time and what kind of dictates that, whether it's in-game stuff, you know, out, outside things like that, uh, coach comments, all that stuff is exciting. 
Now, Josh, you and I have gone back and forth on this, but uh, obviously the ongoing uh, talk out there and chatter is about conference realignment. Uh, Dennis Todd writing yesterday that San Diego State is not in the mix for the Big 12. Where do you stand on all this? Do you still think the Big 12 makes a move before long, or do you think they stand pat, at least for the time being? Yeah, Brett York, York made a comment about 14. Like, yeah. I think there's a balance between creating like a voting block almost, right? Having 14 schools is good, and also if you were to pick up more Power 5 schools, you know, that's good. It's like, hey, are you going to have a – down the line, like we were talking about, are you going to have a college football world where TCU and Oklahoma State and Arizona and Colorado and all these schools are just not involved, right, you know, in the, in the big show? I think kind of that voting block idea is a, is a one school of thought. But also there's the financial part of it, right? I mean, you need to be adding schools of value. And value, to be honest, at this point is like not taking money away from everybody else. Because when you look at the – financial race, I mean, there is a massive gap to what Big 12 schools are making and what, you know, Indiana and Purdue are going to haul in in the Big 10. It's, it's like crazy to think that Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue are going to haul in like, you know, well over double the money that Oklahoma State and TCU might haul in a year. It's odd to think. So you have to make sure you strengthen in a financial sense or not hurt yourself in a financial sense as well when you look at all these calculations. I think they do eventually add more schools. It's just a matter of who it is and where they are. San Diego State, I think it's, it, it makes a lot of sense they wouldn't join. I know Big 12 wants to go out to California and, and get a school out there, but San Diego State, like, if you're not going to join and be a full member, it is expensive to have all of those schools, or all those teams, rather, travel across the country all the time playing all of these sports, and the non-revenue sports. It's just really it's a financial burden. And as much as they want to join the Power Five, it, it feels like it's Pac-12 or bust for them when it comes to where San Diego State's place could be. So it makes sense for the Big 12 schools to say, you know what? We'd like to go west. We know Brett wants to, but it just doesn't make enough financial sense for us. All right, Josh. I appreciate you carving out some time for us. Where can people find all of your great work? Find me on Twitter at JoshNeighbors underscore. You guys can find the show at NWPod365. You guys also can find uh, The Neighborhood Watch wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. And I have to say, as BYU fans are amongst, they're probably my favorite. I'm, I don't like playing favorites, but they are, they are the nicest. And they're the most supportive. So I appreciate all the folks out there. Uh, if you all have not listened to the show yet, once again, Neighborhood Watch, all the places you find your podcast and YouTube. All right, Josh, thanks again for uh, joining us. And, of course, I uh, hope to see you at Media Day next week, all right? Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. There you go, Josh Neighbors. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.